This podcast is not legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Welcome to Hall & Wilcox's cyber podcast, CyberZone. I'm Eden Winnicker, a partner and head of cyber at Hall & Wilcox. For season one, episode two, I'm thrilled to be joined by Shane Bell, a leading cyber expert and partner from specialist advisory firm, McGrath-Nickel. Shane, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Eden. Now, on the back of some highly public and headline-grabbing cyber incidents, particularly affecting Optus and Medibank, the topic of cyber has never been more on the minds of Australian corporates. For the listeners who are new to cyber or looking to learn more, and as a leading cybersecurity expert, can you talk a bit about the most common types of cyber attacks and what they actually are? Yeah, sure. I mean, they range in, in terms of size and impact, if you like. So still really, really common that affects everybody on a day-to-day basis individually is scams. And so scams are very, very common via text, via email, and, and we'll all see those. As you sort of move up through the scale, there's a lot of financially motivated or fraud type attacks, business email compromise, you may have heard of that term which is cyber criminals looking to to circumvent an ongoing process with transactions involved and they'll look to subvert payments. That costs Australian businesses quite a lot of money and continues to do so. And then on the on the upper end of the scale and something that you read about quite commonly in the papers is, is ransomware. And so that's all about data theft, data encryption and some extortion plays that has become really really systemic globally and certainly impacting Australian businesses. Yeah, thanks, Shane. That's that's certainly what, what we see from a legal perspective as the, the common attack types and types of matters that we're generally working on when it comes to cyber. Now, I wanted to ask a bit more about ransomware because ransomware has been such a hot topic over the past couple of years for, for, for those in the industry. But recently, data breaches have been dominating the headlines. And, and so my question is, do you expect data breaches to be a bigger risk than ransomware over the next few years? I think they're actually connected. And so I think what we're finding, certainly through our experience, and, and I think this is reflective as, uh, of the incidents that are playing out, perhaps a little more publicly than they used to, is that a ransomware is the cyber event, but the data breach is part of the result because the ransomware is, is ordinarily now involving the exfiltration or theft of data. And that data is normally quite sensitive. It may be sensitive as defined by the Privacy Act, or it may be commercially sensitive. But, but when data is leaving the control of an organization and going to, to a compromised location, and this instance, threat actors that are executing ransomware attacks, then I think that that obviously causes the breach issue. So I think that breaches will will increase as as cyber attacks increase and for as long as ransomware is is a is a systemic issue. I think the two will be related and we'll see a lot more notifiable events. Yeah, thanks for that insight there. Now, you're someone who is literally on the front line responding to cyber attacks and you get calls from people like myself or directly from companies when they are under a cyber attack or experiencing suspicious activity in their network. I thought it'd be really useful for the listeners to sort of hear what happens when you receive a call from a company 
who thinks that they might be under attack or are under an attack. Can you, can you just give a bit of information about what that looks like? Mm, well, it all happens very quickly and is normally quite emotionally charged. So early we'll receive a phone call either from the organization that's directly affected by by the attack or from some of their trusted advisors, such as lawyers like yourself, or perhaps even their insurers. And that call can happen at any time of the day and often doesn't happen during business hours or on work days. And then we very quickly spin into action. So for us being a responder, the value that we provide in that situation is a high degree of technical capability specific to identifying triaging, containing and eradicating a cyber event. So the skills that we have in our team, the same as, as other response teams, skills that are very valuable and that can that need to be deployed quite quickly in order to be able to contain an incident, which then mitigates impact. And so for us, what we try to do is get a really good understanding of what's already happened. Then we try to get a really good understanding of the IT environment that's in play. We get a really good understanding of the tools that are in that environment that we can use to our advantage in order to be able to collect information, analyze information, or ring fence and contain a cyber incident. And also the stakeholder picture. So, so who's currently involved in the crisis? Is it, is it confined to a technical incident response team? Is it more broadly a crisis management team? Are there internal, external stakeholders? Is there a MSP, a managed service provider in place? Is there an MSSP, a managed security service provider in place? So it's information collection for us. And then what we do is, is we start to inject ourselves into the process in a technical level so that we can conduct analysis uh, and conduct incident response activities. So, I mean, just, just listening to you talk about sort of how the process rolls out, there's quite a formula that, that you use as a professional in this space. But my experience is that, you know, not, not every company ha has really thought through these issues or sort of knows how things play out during an incident or when they think that they might be experiencing an incident. So I guess a question that sort of just jumped to my mind now is, you know, how important is it for companies to have undertaken things like cyber attack simulation training to prepare to respond to these attacks and sort of two-part question do you, do you think that more companies in australia should be undertaking this type of training yeah i think it's a great question and and i'm a huge advocate for for building muscle memory around response and not waiting for an actual crisis to occur to see how good you are at doing it part the first part of my career i grew up in the in the military and so in the military you do uh, a bunch of base training and then you go straight out into into the world and so most of the time that you're spent in the military is training for a purpose now that purpose might be is an operational purpose right it's to deploy and go on conflict and so I spent a lot of time operationally in my military career on conflict and the rest of the time was spent in training I think about cyber security in the same way so we need to build uh, a high degree of comfort with dealing with incidents and issues because 100% prevention is impossible. And so it's about, but I'm not saying don't invest in that, but it's about part of your resilience strategy has to be building muscle memory around being comfortable in an incident, not a crisis, because if you manage the incident well, it doesn't always land in a crisis, but being comfortable in an incident so that you can then uh, come out the other side, you know, quickly try to mitigate some impact and having managed it in accordance with your processes. And I see far too many times 
organisations are highly stressed when when I get into a, an incident response scenario or a crisis management scenario because they just haven't contemplated this before or they have but they've never used their plan or they haven't stress tested themselves to the point where that, that incident is actually uh, a really significant incident for them. And part of that is avoidable. I think it'll always be emotionally charged, but, but part of the sticker shock of it is avoidable if you, if you test yourself appropriately beforehand. Yeah, I mean, it's that, that old saying, failing to plan is planning to fail. So, you know, get ready, be prepared is, is something that, that I think is a really important uh, thing for companies to be doing. And just sort of that second part of the question, and apologies for, for giving you the double-barreled one, but you know, how, well pla- how well placed do you think Australian companies are when it comes to this uh, attack preparation? Do you think that there's more to be done for companies throughout the country? Yeah, I do. So, and, and maybe again, because of, of the military background, I have a higher standard or expectation, but, but certainly, as I was sort of alluding to in, in, in the previous answer, Far too many times I get into incidents and this all seems pretty new for people. They're talking to people for the first time that they haven't spoken to in a long time. They're dealing with a plan that they're not familiar with and they're making decisions uh, that that they haven't sort of rationalised beforehand, you know, like a to pay or not to pay equation in the context of a ransomware. So I absolutely think that there's much more to do across the Australian business landscape to build a greater level of muscle memory and resilience into incident preparedness and, uh, and response. Yeah, excellent. And I, I share that view strongly. And it's something that we're talking with clients more and more about. And, and I, I'm happy to say it's not just sort of outbound conversations. I have noticed an increase in inbound conversations from clients who are interested in this type of, of training and who are considering it. And perhaps that can be one of the silver linings from some of these more recent incidents being so public is that it's really getting to the forefront of, of people's minds. So hopefully that's one positive that can be taken from what's otherwise a really, you know, I think devastating scenario for, for a number of, of individuals and companies with these recent attacks. And I think, Shane, you mentioned ransom and, and the considerations of ransom, and that sort of is a really good segue onto my next question. And that's, you know, again, with clients, we, we regularly speak about cyber ransoms. Is it legal to pay? Should companies pay? And we, we saw with Optus that the threat actor demanded $1 million US dollars. Um, uh, but in my view, that amount and pay, a payment in the case of Optus was never really something that was going to realistically happen because the breach was so public and it, it wasn't really materially impacting the business operations of a critical infrastructure asset. I thought, you know, question for you, what's your experience with cyber ransoms? You know, do companies pay? And, and if so, how, how do they do it? Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's one of the most interesting and heavily debated aspects of ransomware is this concept of to pay or not to pay. We release uh, research annually that sort of attempts to try to, to add some statistics to this to this debate and and also I've got sort of lived experience through through incidents. So in my experience, about eight out of 10 organizations affected by ransomware pay. So those numbers are still pretty high. It's about 80%. And the average ransom paid, and so these are Australian statistics, the average ransom paid by Australian businesses is around a million dollars Australian. And as part of the research, we also survey what people would be willing to pay if they were subjected to ransomware. And we noticed this year, as opposed to last year, that that, that number has increased. And so it used to be that the average 
through our research was around 600,000 uh, that people were willing to pay. And now that number's doubled to 1.2 million. So, so I think there's some really interesting aspects to the research and some really interesting aspects to the, to the lived experience that I think the payment of a ransom is still quite common. The dollar figures can be quite high on an average basis. There'll obviously be the, a range across all of the payments and, uh, and that it's still a real issue that plays out as part of part of a ransomware ransomware event. Now, the research also says that the reason that people are paying is to sort of mitigate harm to victims. So I read from that customers and also to protect brand and reputation, which I think is interesting. So it's not an availability equation necessarily, i.e. my systems aren't down critically. Uh, and I need to get them back up and running. It's it's more the some of the reputational and the risk aspects, which I think is a little interesting as well. So you, you, there's really interesting statistics and research there, and, and really great insights. Shane, how, how do companies actually go about paying? Still via cryptocurrencies, a few of the I think what are they called the stable coins, uh, Bitcoin, and and a few others where where the payment is made. What I think is interesting though, is that for the last few ransomwares that I've seen, the ask in the note or from the threat actor hasn't been an X number of Bitcoins. It's been a dollar figure. And then they figure out the the equation at the time that, that, a, that consensus has reached around payment. Maybe that's because of the fluctuations in the crypto markets. I'm not sure, but, but certainly still paid in crypto. Yeah. All right. Um, Shane, thank you for joining me today and sharing your insights and experiences. And, and thank you to all of our listeners. We trust that you found the information useful in today's episode. And please reach out to both myself or Shane if you have any questions. You can find uh, my details on our website, hallandwilcox.com.au or Shane's details on McGrath-Nichols' website, mcgrahnickel.com, or you can connect with us on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and follow our podcast on whatever platform you listen. You can subscribe on our website to be notified of new episodes. See you, everyone.